Hi, Property Investory listeners, Tyrone Shum here. I want to tell you about another property podcast that I'm super excited about. It's called Think Big Property, where I have millions of questions about property development and my co-host, Nyong Nyon, has made millions of dollars from it. I think you'll really like it. So, I wanted to play another episode for you. You can binge all the rest of the episodes on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Here it is, another episode of Think Big Property. When you're wanting to buy property, you want to make the profit up front. This is the Think Big Property podcast where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. In this episode, we're going to be talking about buying strategies. Nyang provides us with some of his best tips and tricks to making money when investing in property. We delve into motivate sellers and how you can find them by using some tactics like the 4Ds and the atomic model. We hear some amazing real-life stories from Nyang and much, much more. Knowing the different types of buying strategies is a key foundational principle to enable you to achieve success when investing in property. We start with how to look for motivated sellers and what that actually means. I think motivated sellers is one of those most misunderstood angles of property. You know, when you're looking at renovators, you're looking at free blocks of land development sites, oftentimes people will just focus on those pure strategies. You know, you go to the block and all they're looking at is renovating or painting or knocking this down or knocking that down, installing a kitchen or bathroom. And I get it, that, that's the add value part. But I've always said, and I'll repeat it ongoingly, is you make your money when you buy. You make your money when you buy. What, what that means is you need to get either a big discount or a big upside. So to get the discount, generally you need a motivated seller. And there's so many motivated sellers and we'll, we'll go through them shortly. But yeah, you need a motivated seller essentially so you can negotiate and get a better buying price. That makes absolute sense but like I guess sometimes people go, gosh, how do you find these kind of motivated sellers? What what are you looking for to ensure that you get them, you know, find the right ones? We have a formula for that. Like with everything, there's a formula and we talk about the four Ds. Um, There's so many reasons that people have to sell. I'd say there's probably hundreds if not thousands of reasons people have to sell but I generally work on the four Ds to get people started. Uh, The first one is uh, deceased estate. You know, if there's someone who's got deceased estate and they have to sell, you've got three or four siblings that just want to get their money. Number two D is uh, divorce. As you know, sometimes when people get divorced, they do crazy things. I recall uh, this lady caught her husband cheating, and he put uh, so she put her husband's Porsche on eBay. It sold for twenty five thousand dollars, which is crazy, and and I was quite upset too because I missed out. Um, but uh, but people do crazy things. So yeah, that's a second D. The other one is debt where people uh, might have a good job or borrow too much and once they have a good job, they might get easy credit, buy cars, boats, um, houses, jet skis with uh, a lot of debt and the interest rates go up or one of them loses their jobs and the bank takes it back. Uh, And the fourth one is distance, right? So interstate or overseas owners who might have personal circumstances um, such that they have to sell. So that's really what I'm looking for to start off with is the four Ds, motivated sellers, and, and there's so many ways to, to find them as well. 
Let's sort of elaborate a little bit more and, and go into a little bit more details on maybe some examples on maybe some some ways that you've been able to find these motivated sellers. Like, I mean, it's it's great that we know these are the type of motivated sellers, the four Ds. But like, how do we actually get you know to the depth of it? Because not everyone will go and say advertise you know that we're having a divorce and so forth, or or you know it, it's yeah. How do you find these guys to to ensure that they are very very motivated to sell? I think it comes down to two things as well is how do you approach owners? Uh, we have a couple of ways that we approach owners directly as well as approach uh, real estate agents because really you want to get into the deal before it hits the internet. If it Once it hits the internet, it's kind of too late. So you really want to get uh, onto the deal before it hits the internet. I think that's one of the first principles. And, and the second principle is wherever you can, if you can deal directly with an owner, that's even better. But Sometimes the property is listed with an agent and you just got to go with that, So, which is cool. So answer your question, there's so many layers to that question and the answer is, is very, very deep. But one of the simple answers is if let's say you're dealing directly with an owner, which we'll talk about an example of, of last year, I bought a property off an owner where I sent them a letter. I sent them a letter directly expressing my interest in buying their property and I was able to negotiate with the owner directly and I found out that it was a deceased estate. So it was four kids, part of an estate. They'd inherited it, obviously, and they just wanted to sell it. They weren't quite ready at that point in time, but they definitely wanted to sell it. They were waiting for one of the children who was in their 50s to uh, get an operation and once they were ready, then uh, the property was on the market. So uh, long story short is... It also comes down to the approach that you have with the owners and how you can get them deal the owners direct. And you know, from that particular deal, I was able to make 200K. It was a two into five lot subdivision, which was really, really cool. But the key to it was that they were motivated to sell and they were committed to sell. So, And look, they were happy with a reasonable price. They didn't necessarily want top dollar, but they were committed to sell. When you said you, you sent a letter, was that like a mailbox drop? And um, is that, did you actually find their details from somewhere? Like, how, how did you go about finding those? There's various ways to do that. And yeah, you can do a mailbox drop, you can do flyers, you can look their details up on places like Pricefinder or uh, Real, how was it? RP data, there's various ways to do that. Uh, yeah, we generally find door knocking works as well. But that, I, I think the secret here is really finding ways to deal directly with an owner. There's websites where you can you know, buy my house.com and, and things like that, real private, where you can deal directly with property owners. The key to it is be able to negotiate directly with the seller. I think the other way, if you're dealing with a, a real estate agent, is is just to ask them questions. I often ask uh, my real estate agents why they're selling it. It might take two or three conversations or two or three prompts to find out why they're selling. Are they, you know, uh, needing to sell because of mortgage in possession, or they live overseas, or have they got too much debt, or are they getting divorced? I often tell real estate agents exactly what I'm looking for. I'll even teach them the four Ds because I want them to be looking for the motivated seller. Because oftentimes it doesn't matter how run down the house is, if the seller's not motivated and the seller's not willing to give you a discount, it doesn't matter how good a potential renovation is or development site. You know, the price has to be right. I think that this is the challenge that we all face. This is that fee factor. You know, when you're talking to real estate agents or talking to the owner, if you've never done this before, you go, okay, what are the kind of questions that I should be asking? You know, you can't just jump in and say, hey, give me a discount right now. You just got to build that rapport. You got to find out a little bit more motivations. And it's more like just probing those kind of things and just getting to know them personally. Yeah, this is a really good segue to talk into what do you say to real estate agents? Because 
knowing what to say to them, no one teaches this at school. Just because at school, just like at school, they don't teach you about money or how to manage money or invest or risk management. Um, they don't talk teach you about how to talk to real estate agents. And I came up with a model. It, it's just made up really, A-T-O-M-I-C, atomic. Um, the A stands for accept. What will the owner accept? So they might be asking $500,000, but what will they accept? That's a completely different question. And some agents who have no filters uh, and don't care, they say, you know, mate, if, if you offer it 450, you know, the owners probably will take it. Yeah. So uh, that, that's a really good question. What will the owners accept? T stands for time. So how long has it been on the market? If the property's been on the market for not too long, the, the owner may not be too motivated. But if the property's been on the market for 90 days, 120 days, it's either they might be asking uh, too much or they're definitely getting motivated because time is running out. They might have commitments. They might have promises that they need to keep. Uh, o stands for offers. Have they had any offers on the property yet? That's a really good gauge of what the owner may accept because if you're offering something potentially that's lower, that's been offered before, then it might be wasting your time as well as wasting the agent's time. So then we're down to M for motivation, which is what we're looking about, talking about before, you know, the four Ds, deceased estate, divorce, distance, and debt. Uh, I generally lead into that by asking, oh, you know, why are they selling? Why are they selling? Why are they selling? You might have to ask it two, three, four times before the agent will just let go and, and tell you the real answer. Because, you know, I understand from an agency point of view, they really don't want to disclose that the owner is very, very desperate to sell and is wanting to look at all offers, you know. So, and then the other ones, I and C, which is income, what's the current rent, what's the potential rent, if can you add a granny flat at the back and increase the rent? Can you subdivide the rooms or lift the house, build in under, increase the rent from an income point of view? And C is, is going to contract as in putting in a, a low offer or putting in uh, another C which is creative, finding a creative way to negotiate the deal. It might be a 12-month settlement, it might be vendor finance, it might be um, be able to get early possession. So A-T-O-M-I-C, what will they accept? Time on the market, have they had any offers? Are they motivated? What's the income potential as well as C for contract and creatives? That's a really, really good strong framework to actually work off and I'm already thinking in my head, you know, how do I apply this if I'm going to go out? Obviously, it's going to be a bit funny if I just kept going through ATMOC with them, you know, but it makes you just think, okay, these are the key components where it doesn't have to be in that particular order to actually find out from whether it be the direct owner or through the real estate agent and if we actually have that in mind, you kind of have that mini checklist going, okay, these are the things I need to find out before I actually even proceed further because if they don't match any of those criteria, then obviously they're not going to be motivated to, to sell. The thing about that is it's like you said, it's just a framework. When you're talking to real estate agents, when you're talking to property owners, after a few conversations and you've tried the, using those stimulants or those um, triggers after a while, what you will find is it'll just become normal and normal conversation. You don't really need to be like a telemarketer going through the script of ATOMIC. Oh, it'll, it'll become natural. Like, oh yeah, how long has the property been on the market? Yeah, have you had any offers on it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, what's it been renting for? Oh, yep. 
or why is it selling again? So you'll, you'll go basically step from one to the other very much gracefully and naturally. And you don't have to go through it like a machine gun. <laughs> next, 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 next. So um, yeah, after a while, it will become very natural. And then you'll come up with your own questions on, you know, oh, what do you think can be approved for? And has anybody, you know, is it rented or is it owner-occupied? Those questions become natural and a natural flow. And they may or may not help the negotiation, but it's always good to, to gather information and build rapport, like you said, with the real estate agent, because you're wanting the agent who's just got no filter, who just opens up, tells you everything you need to know, no resistance. And in particular, in the current marketplace with Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, you know, I believe there's buyers' market opportunities out there, depending on the suburb and depending on the area. Uh, with the market having dropped 5, 10, 15% in certain areas, there's going to be motivated sellers. And, and not only that, there's going to be motivated agents who are happy just to sell property. I guess what people are probably asking now is like, you know, it sounds like the framework's there, but like how much work or effort do you need to put in to actually go? Because some people have said, look, I got to look and speak to like 100 properties or agents to be able to actually find that one, you know, deal. And I, I just want to see and, and put in perspective, like, is it like that or is it actually something else? Like, how do you go about um, searching for these properties in a most effective and time timely way? Because everyone's quite um, time poor nowadays. You know, don't have the time to necessarily always speak to like hundreds and hundreds of agents or look at, you know, all these properties. Is there a sort of a leverage way to go about handling this? When I started, it's probably the best if I just go back to when I started about um, 15, 17 years ago looking at property when I'd go out pretty much every Saturday to look at houses. And one thing I'd say is that it'll probably take you somewhere between three and six months to find your first deal because firstly, you may not even know what you're looking for. You might know in theory. You might know from what we've talked about, but until you actually find a motivated seller that you're negotiating on, you may not even understand it completely until you're negotiating it directly. So, um, like I said, it may take three to six months to find your first deal. Um, I'd suggest if you can, you know, every Saturday, at least half a Saturday, go to the open homes. Uh, my formula was looking at seven properties a week and putting in four offers a week. That's something I made up when I was 21. So looking at you know, half a dozen properties a week, every week for three to six months, what will happen is you will stumble on motivated sellers, whether you like it or not. You know, that's over 100, 120 odd properties if you look at six or seven properties a week and you will find um, yeah, diamond in the rough and, and it just happens naturally and, and it might take you know, half an hour a day. I reckon everybody can find half an hour a day where they're commuting um, to work or sitting on a train, you know, looking through realestate.com, uh, half an hour a day getting on the phone, maybe at lunchtime, uh, ringing a couple of real estate agents. Even if you just ring one agent a day and uh, have a look at half a dozen houses on a Saturday, part of it is also getting to understand the market, You know, if, to know what suburbs are um, generally worth, what streets, houses are selling in what street. Market research, people so misunderstand market research because we start to live on a, an online environment. They think that they can scroll, scroll through realestate.com, look at 10 houses, and that's their market research. Well, yeah, market research is so much more than that. When you're, You need to be on the ground. I believe that with property, you need to touch it, taste it, feel it. If you're, if you're online, you can't hear the road noise. If you're online, you can't smell what the, the local storage smells like. You know, if you're online, you can't see what the slope of the land actually is from a topographical 
point of view. There are so many factors with property where you just need to get on the ground and touch it. And that's why I suggest, you know, ideally half an hour a day if you can, or you know, looking at half a dozen houses every Saturday, every weekend. And that's for those who are committed. It might take a little bit longer if you don't have that time and you can't do it during the weekends. Uh, yeah, it just will take a little bit longer. But we're, we're talking about motivated sellers that'll give you a 50, 100, 200 grand uh, discounts, right? So that's why you know doing that groundwork is important. Otherwise, just getting on the phone, you know, if you don't have the time to physically go out on a Saturday, getting on the phone um, at lunchtime, 10, 15 minutes, making two or three phone calls a day. Everybody does that. You know, you talk to your mother, you talk to your sister-in-law, you talk to your friends for yabba, yabba, yabba. You know, this is intentional about how to create wealth and quit your job if that's what you want to do. And two or three phone calls a day to real estate agents, you know, at least puts you on the hot list. But eventually, you do need to visit them and, and get them to, to catch up with you face-to-face to build that relationship. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into alternatives to finding development sites, leveraging other people's time. So yeah, I've known a couple of buyers agents who can find deals from time to time but yeah, generally I have either a team of my own which I train up to do or I'm out there myself simply because my criteria is very, very strict. How to ensure you portray yourself as a serious investor to real estate agents? Those I'd say the three tips is dress up. Um, present yourself as a property investor, tell tell people that you are a property investor. Why just sitting at home and searching on the internet to find property development sites will only take you so far? It's just face-to-face and, and building that relationship. So even if you touch base with them you know, once a week, once every fortnight. So that's next and you're listening to the Think Big Property Podcast. Hey podcast listeners, we want to give you something extra special just for listening. When you head over to thinkbigproperty.com and subscribe, you'll receive a free chapter from Nung's book called Bankable. Inside, you'll learn about which development strategy is right for you, where you can find the best bargains, buy property at a discount and how do you get free blocks of land. Simply visit thinkbigproperty.com to get your free chapter. Nun and I discuss whether buyers agents can be useful in finding development sites since a lot of investors nowadays are turning to their services to save time. I personally have not uh, had buyers agents. I find that because I'm a lot more meticulous and a lot more fastidious with what I'm looking for, I find that the deals with buyers agents can work but they are very, very rare. Um, So yeah, I've known a couple of buyers agents who can find deals from time to time but yeah, generally I have either a team of my own which I train up to do or I'm out there myself simply because my criteria is very, very strict. And buyers agents, you know, if they spent six months looking for a deal for me, they, they wouldn't make any money. So buyers agents definitely can work. It just depends on the type of deal that you're doing, uh, whether it's you, you're wanting to, you know, get a discount of 10, 20, 30, 50 grand. Uh, but yeah, if you're wanting generally development sites, uh, buyers agents can do the job. But yeah, you need to find the right one uh, with the right skill set. Uh, and it can take time as well. So that's a really good way to, to leverage it as well. There's other mechanisms to get deals to come to you. Um, you know, if, if you engage real estate agents directly to essentially find your deal, that's another good way to do it as well. But I do believe that you know, getting on the ground yourself, pounding the pavement is uh, very, very important. Or if you've got the financial resources, 
find some property investors who have been doing it for a while who might be deal finders and you could partner up with them as a money partner. I think that's also a very, very good path to go down. One thing I did want to ask is in terms of say perception, going in and seeing and meeting up with a real estate agent or even just giving them a call, is there a way that you want to perceive yourself? Do you tell them that you're a property developer looking for this X, Y, and Z kind of development sites or do you just go in and say, look, you know, I'm looking for this and I'm just a you know, average Joe Blow in the background. Like, I just want to see if, if perception really matters because do they actually want to work with you or, or not? When you're starting out, I think perception is very, very important for, for a couple of reasons is that you need them to take you seriously. In this game where oftentimes people look at you and they judge you or they'll Google you and they'll judge you and that's fair enough um, because Sometimes people get a lot of time wasters and a lot of tie kickers. I get that. So I remember I'll talk about perception in a couple of ways that you may not even have triggered there, Tyrone. But uh, when I started out, I remember I had this really bomby car and it was like, you know, 17 years old and probably three or four models old. And I reckon, you know, if they looked at it, they, they would have gone, oh my God, he drives that car. So for me, I parked that car around the corner. But I made sure that every time I went to an open home, I dressed up. So uh, when I say I dress up, I dress up in business attire, you know, um, slacks and business shirt, just a black and white Mr. Bean outfit, uh, business shoes. And being you know, 19, 20, 21, that gave me some credibility. You know, as you know, mate, being Asian, when you're 20, you look like you're 12. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't start shaving till I was about 30 anyway. So... <laughs> um, but um, my point is, yeah, I dress up in, in business clothes and, and dress smart. And so that's one tip for you guys is dress nicely. You don't have to go in a suit uh, necessarily. Sometimes that's a bit over the top, but, but dress nicely. Uh, once you've made it, I find then it doesn't matter what you wear once you've made it and you know in yourself that you're confident. Because I remember you know, a few years ago, I'd rock up in a singlet and shorts, but you park the Porsche at the front and you just don't care. But my point is that I didn't start there and I know you're laughing. You think, oh, everybody, that's a bit over the top. But my point is when, you know, when you've made it, you don't care what you wear. But when you're starting out and you're, you're pretty insecure, you're trying to prove yourself, that's one of the ways you dress up in business clothes. And the other thing that really helps is having a property investor business card. Yes, I tell them when you're on the phone that I'm a property investor. I think that's important for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is when you own an occupier, you think of it from their point of view. An owner-occupier generally buys a house and lives in it for five to seven years. So they're not very transactionally heavy. They're a once-off transaction. Whereas you're a property investor, there's a couple of ways that they can make income from you. One, you're going to buy it, you're going to paint it, you're going to sell it. So essentially, they think that there's potential multiple transactions and multiple commissions for them. Not only that, if you're going to rent it out, there's going to be a commission from a in their office for a rental management fee. So it may not go to them, but it makes them look good, adds to the rental pool, and they'll get leads from that rental pool down the track anyway. So I definitely believe that presenting yourself as a property investor, I don't necessarily think that you should say you're a property developer as such, especially when you're starting out. Sometimes People just misconstrue property developers and then they think, oh, you know what, this property can be subdivided. There's something they know that I don't know and they'll want to jack the price up. So I just like to keep it credible but at the same time not over the top. So the, so the third tip I would say, if I may, is having a business card um, just saying property investor on it. So your first name, last name, phone number, email address and the words property investor on the business card. 
nothing too snazzy, doesn't have to be over the top, fold out, you know, have a little matchbox car coming out. Um, just a, a basic Vince Vista print, you know, even if it's just black and white or, or blue text and, and white background, keep it simple, keep it sharp. Um, my only other tip is if you do have an email address, a Gmail address is actually fine. Just keep it simple and easy to spell. If you're going to have a, an email address that's property related, you know, you might have you know, tsproperty at gmail.com. It might be initials or, or whatever, but keep it very, very simple and easy to spell, short and sharp. Um, and yeah, th- those I'd say the three tips is dress up. Um, present yourself as a property investor. Tell tell people that you are a property investor. And thirdly, have the property investor business card because then they're more likely to take you seriously. I love that because it really does help with regards to putting the right uh, yes uh, perception to the real estate agent or whoever you're dealing with, and especially that they will take you seriously because at the end of the day, they know. And I've been a real estate agent myself. Is that I before I even go ahead to work with a buyer is I would pre-qualify them. I want to make sure that they've got their finance. I want to make sure that they actually do have um, some experience on as a developer or not developer but as an investor as well. You know, they're ready to actually move along because you know I could spend six months working with them. They're not buying anything. Then that's waste of my time when there's other opportunities out there. So I totally understand that. You know, it's so and so important. And I guess by portraying that and also coming across with the right information, people are going to help you, you know, move forward. And that's the thing I've learned about working with real estate agents is that they just want to make sure that at the end of the day, one, they're going to get paid their commission and two, that they're going to also help their vendors to sell their properties. So, it's, it's very, very important to look at from those perspectives as well. I completely agree with you and I think that that's why it's so critical to portray yourself as an investor and if you're having business cards and you take yourself seriously, they'll take you seriously as well and, and sometimes it might take going to the same open home or the same agent two or three times through various open homes and bumping into them and building up a brand for yourself. Not everybody has to be you know, meriton or build up a brand that big but necessarily it's just face to face and building that relationship so even if you touch base with them you know, once a week, once every fortnight, there's various ways on email where you can just automatically trigger touching base with people and, and prompting them, hi mate, hi Matt. Hi Sarah, how are you going? You know, I, I bumped into you at that open home on the weekend. Yeah, if you've got anything, please let me know. So it might just be half a dozen follow-up emails that allows you to keep in touch with them and them in touch with you because sometimes you're not at the forefront of their mind. You know, they've got pressures, they've got to pay bills, mortgage payments, car payments. Their interaction with you, if you keep at the front of their mind, when a deal comes up, they go, yep, here's an easy sale, finances approved ready to go. So Tyrone, would you say as a real estate agent, I suppose one of the, what are some of the biggest reasons why deals fall through? Is it finance or what is it you find that biggest deals fall through? I mean, there's so many different aspects but I think one of it, yes, definitely is the key is the finance because a buyer could say, you know, I've got pre-qualification but when they actually go through the process and actually get their loan and they get to the end of it to be able to get it finance approved, um, the banks may change their requirements based on a f- certain few things and when they look at the property, there may be other things that they completely overlooked and then that falls through and unfortunately, that puts a delay and then therefore, you've got to go back out into the market and find another buyer. And hopefully, if you've already been working with a number of buyers, you do have some in the back but obviously, the person that has put a, a serious offer on is the one that you want to work with. That's probably one aspect is the finance. The second aspect is the vendor's motivation changes. You know, something else might happen is that if they, if they are motivated, yes, they're looking to sell but then again, they may see that, oh, look, there's a development site down the road. I actually, you know, might want to actually get more for that because I know my one has, 
you know, development potential. Things like that do change. And unfortunately, it, it's it's kind of out of our hands to control that. But at the same time, as an agent, all you want to try and do is, is present to the vendor the best you can do. And sometimes I know a lot of real estate agents sort of downplay it and say, look, you know, this is the best offer I've got. And then right towards the end when they've actually got the, a high offer, which they already had anyway, they would present that to make it sound even better for them. So they do play the game as well. And, and I guess being in that, I'm going, okay, <laughs> I know how they work as well. And, and dealing with that, I can, you know, make an advantage for them. That's why it's so important to put the terms out correctly and, and well at the beginning to make sure that you get your offer placed in front of the vendor before anyone else does if there's a lot of competition there. But in, in saying that, you know, it, it's it's all experience it comes down to actually going out there doing it meeting with the people and actually getting really your hands dirty you know if you don't get out there and do it you won't understand you won't know what we're talking about i completely agree and that's the thing is when you're starting out i know the rules are different in sydney melbourne and brisbane and each state has is different but i know especially in sydney and canberra as well you know in terms of or act you could say is that you don't necessarily go subject to finance you exchange and, and off you go whereas in other states it can be subject to finance subject to due diligence subject to building and pest um so yeah Getting yourself prepared financially is really, really important. Getting that pre-qualification for finance. If you've got investors, getting them pre-qualified. Um, also getting your cash uh, facilities available. And many times the only way that I'm able to win a deal in front of other people is I'll say, look, I don't have issues with finance. I've got cash. I've got sufficient cash to buy your property. And not everybody in this position to do that. I definitely did not start with that. I barely had a 5%, even a 2.5% deposit, let alone paying cash. But my point is that that's really where you want to get to down the track is be in a financially stable position, in a competent position where you can settle with cash. Um, you may, how I structure it after I settle with cash is I refinance. So I pull the money out, I settle with cash, pull the money out with the bank funding, 80%, for example. And then if I need to, I'll get my investors to tip the cash in to even uh, reimburse myself for the deposits and stamp duty in that, but, and therefore no, no cash in. But my point is that going to real estate agents, that's where you really want to position yourself as a potential cash buyer got my finances in order, got investors behind me so that they know that even your offer may be lower, it's generally the terms that will win out at the end of the day. So that, that's where the motivator comes, motivated seller comes in is that they want the shortest period of time, the least amount of risk and the most certain deal uh, to be able to, to get them out of the pickle. Um, let's say it's a mortgage in possession and they're at an auction, right? Generally, if some, the buyer or the previous borrower has paid a 20% deposit, there was there is potentially a discount there because the bank uh, monies that is owing to them will be net of any of the deposit that the uh, previous buyer has paid. So yeah, if you're ready to roll and you're able to buy at auction, that gives you a head start to everybody else. Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, we'll continue the conversation about buying strategies where we talk about joint ventures. I'm sure there's so many people who are looking for money partners but you need to make sure that one, they know what they're doing and two, your money's protected. Nan explains the benefits of a free block of land. 
in that struggle or in that challenge of finding a deal, I, I manufactured an opportunity called the free block of land. We discussed the debate between land and apartments. I found that as I progressed along the journey, my preferences for risk, my preferences for timeframes, my preferences for um, profitability, I, I'd found that land was a lot more congruent with who I was. And that's next time on the Think Big Property Podcast.